Welcome back, everyone, to Southern Tom Foolery Unlimited, the interview show where we like to STF you for once and listen to the wise words of our wonderful guests. I'm your host, Zach Evans, joined as always by my good friend, Adam Kelly. Adam, real quick, what's the square root of pi? Mm, the last slice is mine. Awesome. Glad to hear it, buddy. I'm doing great as well. Uh, today, we have uh, a wonderful guest. Uh, he is a development manager for Paizo and author of numerous AP books, articles, back matter, and other Starfinder-related literature, Mr. Jason Keeley. Welcome to the show. Hi. Nice to be here. Good to have you. Good to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, Jason, before we get into your role mm-hmm. at Paizo, we'd love to hear about what brought you to the table. How did you get into tabletop role-playing? Well, um, uh, as a kid growing up, I did have a, a red box D&D, right? But I didn't have anyone to play it with ever. Uh, uh, one of my friend's fathers was running something for them, and I, but I just happened to not be invited. I was more into video game RPGs at the time, right? Um, just going to really just show my age here. Uh, but I've already done that by saying red box D&D. But um, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, I love the Might and Magic series of games. Uh, I played some, you know, the Ultima, the Wizardry, Bard's Tale, all that stuff. I nice. uh, got into those SSI gold box, you know, Eye of the Beholder and stuff like that. Um, eventually up to, you know, the Baldur's Gate isometric yes. stuff from, from uh, I loved me some Baldur's Gate Baldur's Gate was good Torment Planescape was terrific um, that kind of stuff so um, I just played a bunch of those things up until like oh gosh uh, maybe my 30s I want to say ish uh, early early late 20s early 30s when I uh, moved to um, was like, at that point I think I was moving back to New York City and um, <clears throat> a friend of mine uh, from college was like oh I know these guys uh, from the Renaissance Fair, and we play games. We play role-playing games. And I was like, oh, I know what role-playing games are. I've just never done it before. I knew when I was in college, I was like, if I get into role-playing games, I'm going to get too deep into role-playing games. <laughs> and so eventually it happened. Uh, and uh, 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 this friend of mine invited me to, to come play a game, and it was a game of uh, the Game Master's own design. It was a, a, a you know a, a something he'd written himself, uh, sort of a riff on the vampire game. So I was uh, basically playing a vampire. You know, we were all vampires, and that's where I started. And I hung out with this group for a long time. We played all sorts of games, many of which were written by the Game Master, um, which is uh, very interesting. And eventually... Um, <clears throat> Came to a point where another friend of mine from from school who wasn't living in New York was like, "Hey, you know, like let's see, you like games? Let's uh, maybe let's start making games." And I was like, "Oh yeah, I know a guy who makes games and and stuff like that." So we sat down and we started planning out an idea for a campaign setting for three point five. And by this point, I had already been uh, running my own three point five games and other and other things like that. Um, and then, uh, 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 yeah, we sat down and we figured out some stuff right when uh, Wizards was like, we're going to 4th edition. And I was like, great, <laughs> good timing. Um, and at the same time, Paizo was uh, putting out Pathfinder. So we made a decision at the time. It's like, oh, what we need to do is we'll just quickly, we'll put, we've already laid this out and printed a bunch of stuff. Um, and uh, uh, we decided, well, we'll just put out a quick free supplement. How to change this from 3.5 to Pathfinder. And it was just like, you know, take jump out, right? That kind of thing. Change right. the skill names. It wasn't really a whole lot to do. Uh, because it was a lot of fun. It was a, it was a, um, 
a setting in which it was sort of more Renaissance focused than medieval focused, right? We said, let's have a printing mm. press. Let's have minor firearm flintlocks and wheel locks and stuff like that. Let's do uh, fencing. Let's have a fencing system. Um, and so we, we, we put that all in there. I decided I really wanted Knowles to be a main playable character, so I wrote up some Knowles stuff. Um, and uh, that's sort of where I started. That that book is called like Nobis, N-O-B-I-S. If you, I don't know if you can find it anywhere anymore. Um, <laughs> uh, it did get nominated for an any which was cool but it was that was when paisa was just sweeping the ennies left and right right um uh we put that out in the fun i wrote an adventure for that a very shakespeare themed adventure uh because i was in theater in college of course uh all the people i knew i was playing with who were in the run fair were also doing theater in new york city um so it's very theater heavy um and then uh that's sort of happening we were like didn't know what to do with it because it was like fourth edition you know pathfinder stuff yeah this thing we decided that um this uh other friend of mine who was running all these games this gm was uh would we'd started we'd write a game from scratch we had this sort of idea to make a game based around tarot uh having the tarot deck as a um okay um uh, res- resolution system and so he was like oh well but i want it to be i don't want it to be touchy feeling like you pull strength and you're real strong it's sort of like it's got to have mechanical effects he was a very mechanically oriented guy so the two of us sort of put our heads together and we started coming up with all these cool rules and whatnot um we decided to say set it in actual renaissance europe but also there are elves and dwarves so it's that sort of you know version of things because we knew that like the tarot stuff would be tricky for new play for players coming in and we wanted to give them a sort of like you know what fantasy is right you can have that as a toehold and then you've got, right. you know, swords and magic and stuff like that. So it's like you draw a card and, you you know, whether or not it succeeds or fails and that stuff. Um, <clears throat> uh, that game's called Fortune's Fool. And we put out a couple. We put out a little campaign book for it. We put out a little supplement for it and also full of free supplements. And it did win a Judge of Choices NE, which I was very happy about. Uh, it's been it, that was like a decade ago over a decade ago at this point um, and um, uh, 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 at that point I sort of started to branch out I at the time was working as a crossword puzzle editor and I okay. wanted to uh, get out of, I kind of wanted to get out of New York City I kind of wanted to just sort of branch out to do a different job and I you know Eventually found my way to, um, I, I applied for a bunch of jobs in the tabletop industry, uh, board games and stuff like that. But eventually I, you know, I, I got to know the people at Paizo. I did, uh, uh, did a, um, you know, did an interview for an editing position, uh, didn't get it, but then did some freelancing and then less than a year later was hired as an editor. Um, I didn't apply, I was also at the time applying for a developer position. Um, and it was sort of like a toss up there and I was like, oh, I'll just go with the editing. I felt like editing was more my strong suit at the time. And that's how I got to Paizo. Okay. That's my story. Yeah. <laughs> well, just real quick, I, I, I'm never surprised when someone in this business says that they were a theater kid at some point. <laughs> no, I'm, yeah, I'm, it's, it's, it's... I'm never surprised. De rigueur, almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, and the skills translate so well, you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, imp- so, yeah. Imp- so, 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 let me just sort of... Improv no, no, go ahead. was my big thing in, in college. I did a lot of improv. And improvising... And GMing have like uh, and playing too, right? In a lot of ways, have a lot of a lot of a lot of things in common. And I have right, definitely. always yeah. absolutely said that. Yeah, yeah I didn't do a lot of improv in uh, in like any theater that I did, but Adam and I both improved a lot as musicians, and I think mm. the the fundamental principles there still apply. Yeah, yeah. You know, the yeah. yes ending that sort of thing, that stuff. It's it's so important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So anyway, this led you to Paizo, mm-hmm. uh, and eventually you started developing adventures for Starfinder. That's right. 
Yep. So can you tell us a little bit about your role in the Paizoverse? Yeah. So, I mean, I was editor for uh, several years and then, um, it's coming down the line that, you know, second edition Pathfinder's coming, right? I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. But in the meantime, we're going to do Starfinder. Uh, so I got kind of, uh, 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 conscripted into that i mean it was that if you want to do this i'm like yeah like space and stuff um so i got conscripted into the uh uh sort of secondary team to to look at the book and get the core rule book out start developing that and at the same time thinking about like what else other you know we were doing the first alien archive we were doing pack world sort of all kind of mixed up and together um and uh rob mccreary and i who were who's um a big AP developer, but you know, sort of that chunk was sort of taken. He was like, "I'm going to take that skills over to the Starfinder AP stuff." So he planned out the whole Dead Suns AP, and uh, uh, at some point, I was like, "I'd like to write one of those, please. I'd like to write an adventure for Paizo." It was my goal to like one of my goals to working for Paizo would be to writing an adventure for them because I really enjoyed all the stuff they did. I had I would have been a longtime subscriber when they did 3.5, and even before that, even when they started doing their own uh, Adventure Path volumes. Um, uh, so, and I, I thought, like, oh, they do great work. And so I want to be part of that and I want to see if I can do it myself. Um, and I did, and, you know, Rob was like, yeah, I'll do it. Let's do the fourth volume of, of, of Dead Sons. And so eventually it came to the point where he didn't want to be developing the, uh, adventures himself anymore. So he's like, well, he trained me up on that basically. And that's how I became the adventure developer. And I have, uh, the f- claim to fame is that I have developed more Starfinder adventures than any living human being. Um, and and probably any dead human being i I have it's amazing any dead as well (laughs) yeah we're we're closing in on developing the 50th one of these and is it really that many i I mean if you count per book right yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. 50 50 50 volumes 50 adventures this is the 11 adventure pass let's say yeah yeah yeah. because there's three to six in each one that makes way i was like no way i've missed that many (laughs) (laughs) there's no way i know kind of what's going on in star (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's uh, Yeah, yeah absolutely so as the as the adventure develop, developer, you oversee the the project as a whole, essentially. Yeah, yeah. As the okay. lead developer of an adventure path, you outline it. You uh, work with the other adventure path developers and the other developers and whatnot. Uh, you know, to get to get input. I always need like I don't know what to do in the middle here. What do we, you know? Everyone throws we throw ideas around and eventually uh, comes outline finding the authors for them and then uh, sketching all of that. And then once the authors have Turned in the text, it's just, you know, keeping it all the pieces moving in one direction, keeping it all to Paizo style, right? And, right. And uh, just sort of, uh, you know, being the director of the movie, so to speak, right? Yeah, and I was, I was, I was going to ask, how do, you, how do you like being the director versus being the writer? I think no. I, I mean, I I enjoy it. I, it. It is they're different skill sets. I gotta say. Right. Um, and some days I like one more than the other, probably. Um, but there is some, you know, there's some writing that needs to be done sometimes when you're the director. You just got oh, this piece doesn't fit with the other two adventures here, right? And it or whatever. But uh, or this just didn't come out the way I had sort of hoped. Um, so just you tweak it. But you know, I'm always trying to keep the author's original intent and and. Because they come up with everyone comes up with great stuff that I would never would have thought of, right? Like, oh, this, right. and then you go in here, and this other stuff happens. I'm like, oh yeah, of course, that's perfect, that's awesome. Um, I, I try to give 
guidance as to how an adventure should go, you know, uh, but it's milestones. It's like uh, at the beginning, they start here. They should probably go and do this thing in the middle. And then by the end, they should be here. Um, what's in the middle, how they get there. You know, we, there's a, there's a basically a, uh, back and forth between me and the author for, for a month, yeah. month I would say, uh, um, uh, where they send me some, I think this, and I say, Oh, check that out. And you know, awesome. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I follow that. I think that's interesting. I, th- I think it's definitely, it's one of those things where like it, you write long enough and eventually you become an editor and eventually you're going to go on and, and not necessarily do the bulk of your work, be have it be writing, I guess. So yeah. it's sort of an inevitability. But anyway, um, so you still do some GMing, right? You still, you still like yes. play some games. So I try. Do you... <laughs> yeah. Do you like to play test ideas for upcoming modules or adventures, or is it just a chance for you to tell stories that are just for you, or maybe a little yeah. bit of both? What What happens? I mean, I would love to be able to play test more of the stuff that we have on the clock, right? Uh, but we're always putting out so much stuff that it it becomes near impossible uh, for for like a big thing like you know second edition Pathfinder when that came out. There was a lot of play testing going on on the clock and, the, and, and with the with the designers, but sometimes we just don't have time. Right, and we have other books that we're putting out, and so when I go and uh, when I'm running a game for myself, it is mostly for myself, you know, for the people that I'm running for, and and it's, yeah. it's less, it's it's more of the that's so why I can relax about it. I've done far, uh, I'm doing far less gaming or GMing than I did. Uh, before I got this job and moved out here, but that's also because <laughs> I moved to a whole other town. I didn't know anybody, and I'm right. Uh, yeah. the, at that point, the the virtual tools were not really in place. But since uh, I gotta say, since the um, the pandemic has started, um, and all that lockdown happened at the beginning, um, I had this uh, group that we ha- had uh, back in New York City. Not the same group that eventually got me into. It was a different group of people. Uh, we play every Wednesday night now, and we switch DMs and we switch systems, and we're just constantly doing all kinds of wacky, crazy stuff that I just love. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we started playing virtually right mm-hmm. so it, it's one of those things it's been interesting to watch so many people adapt to uh virtual tabletops uh, as a result of the pandemic and it's like we were pandemic yeah, ready we- i guess <laughs> yeah from right the jump you know but yeah it, it's it's a, it's a little different than the table feel of sitting around at a table yeah. but it's it's very serviceable i think and you can still tell some great stories together uh, but speaking of telling stories, you've told quite a few with your uh, book writing credits. As you said, you've you've probably written more than any other living or dead human. <laughs> no, 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 no when not it written. Comes to Starfinder. I, uh, I would say not written, just developed, oh. right? From, from oh, just I've, developed. I've, had, I've gotcha. had my fingers in all of them. Written though, uh, uh, I, I, I'm always uh, probably going to be behind Ron Lundin. Um, yeah, even Starfinder yeah. Adventures, he's written probably more than anybody. He's written <laughs> quite a few. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's sure. definitely written quite a few. Uh, but developed, well, it. I've concepted and developed more than anyone else. I would say, and and some of the new ones y- that you're working mm-hmm. on uh, include the Horizons of the Vast AP. So let's mm-hmm. let's talk about some of that a little bit. Um, basically, Horizons of the Vast, from my understanding, this is Kingmaker in space, right? So. Uh, how did you crack this nut? Sure, so to speak? yeah. Um, indeed, that's sort of the was the premise that we had had on the whiteboard probably for a bit, right? Uh, coming into Starfinder existence, Kingmaker was already a very popular adventure path, and probably one of the very most 
popular ones. Uh, this was even, be- you know, before it became the you know, the Alcat game it came out. We were sort of maybe right. we'll do Kingmaker in space or something. We didn't know how to do it, um, <clears throat> so we did a bunch of other little stories. Uh, and eventually, it was like I think it's time we try to do it. Um, so it just comes down to uh, at the um, luckily sort of simultaneously. Uh, 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 we were working on the Galaxy Exploration Manual, which has sort of right. rules for the hex crawling, right? Which means we didn't have to reproduce them in the adventure path. Uh, so we started with that, and well, we there is some text in there that sort of summarizes it. You know, a lot of it is in that Galaxy Exploration Manual, um, and then the then it came down to the story, uh, which is obviously uh, for me one of the more important things. Uh, we. Th- Going to a planet and building a new place there in a city and sort of making it on your own is a classic sci-fi trope, right? And we wanted to do that, but <clears throat> we also wanted to be very careful about uh, 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 colonization, Co- you know, being you know, right. colonial yeah. about it, right? It's not you go mm-hmm. to a planet and there are already some aliens there and you also – even if it was friendly, like they said, come on, it just wouldn't feel right. So – uh, right. We had to. I had to just sort of, just from the baseline, just come from. This planet has no one on it. To begin with, uh, right. uh, that's not a spoiler. I don't think it's. It's pretty much set out right at the beginning that the <laughs> right. uh, pack worlds and the Vescarium fun to find this planet. It's beautiful and lush, and it's got all the biomes that you need, and breathable air and whatnot. And there's nobody on it. It's got tons of resources. Why is nobody on it? Let's go find out. Um, and so. Um, you know, you come and you're part of it, uh, uh, one of many uh, uh, charters. Uh, I was very careful to try to avoid using words like colony or colonization. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Settlement came up a lot, so which was that was a little on the on. Uh, it's a little on the border. Pioneer is a little on the border, but uh, uh, well, I worked with all of our great editors to be like, okay, these are the words I think are okay, and what do you think? And so we we, we got a vocabulary down uh, eventually. Yeah. Uh, and right. I, I I feel like I hit on the word charter as like a land charter, uh, being kind of like good good enough, <laughs> right? Right. right. Yeah. yeah. And 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 it's more it's more you know you can't be a kingdom because it's not a that's too fantasy right? Uh, you had, I had to come up with something a little more modern esque, sci fi esque. Right. Right. Uh, so uh, it was that, and then from there uh, I went sort of work backwards and try to figure out why there's no one on this planet that's got a ton of resources. Oh, and surprise, there's going to be, there needed to be mysteries to solve and not just fighting animals and plant creatures. And right. That, right. Uh, uh, so I came up with that uh, stuff. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it just in case anyone's listening who's uh, playing through <laughs> what's going on throughout the adventure path, but it, uh, it goes to a, 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 I think an interesting and fun place um, to the point where, you know, you, you solve a mystery of why, there's no one here, but yet there might be some abandoned buildings or something underground, you know. Those kinds of things happen, but why they're happening, right. you, don't, yeah. you don't know until you figure it all out. And eventually it comes through, and then it comes down to uh, that stuff. that Basically, it happens sort of at the end of Kingmaker. There's kind of war, and you've got to fight somebody right. else who's maybe trying to take your stuff or whatever. So, you know, uh, uh, that, that, that was uh, an interesting challenge. Yeah, well, I was going to ask, you know, other than obviously trying to avoid using the language of colonialism, what were some other challenges of bringing this whole AP together? Well, uh, right off the bat, too, we needed a, you know, kingdom-building system, right? That's and the big thing of king, king, Kingmaker is that you've got the hexes, and we have that, and you can go out and explore things, but then you get to build stuff. And to sort of update that in a way that was, uh, that we could fit in an AP volume, 
Um, not too complicated, but robust enough to be interesting. Uh, so I had to write that basically on the clock. Uh, and uh, 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 the time we, uh, you know, there's a, uh, it's probably, no, I mean, it's no secret. It's no secret that, you know, there's going to be like a, a second edition Pathfinder Kingmaker book that we're sort of been working on for, for right. ages. Um, and I got got to look at what how that works in second edition. But it was like, I can't go this complicated <laughs> uh, it's not that it's complicated it's just it was just a lot of it was you know pages and pages of stuff that i just couldn't fit anywhere in a slim 64 page volume so I had, to, I had to i had to trim it down i came up with some uh uh borrowed some ideas from that but also in my head um uh i wanted to make it similar to um have you ever played seven wonders uh, no, card game. Uh, I'm familiar with the game. Yeah, it, it's a drafting card game where you get a bunch of cards and you you, you get uh, at the beginning you try you get you you pick a card and you try uh, get some resources and then use those resources to build your wonder and your civilization while everyone's doing it. Right. So in that game, it's sort of like you have uh, once you have a quarry, right? You have stone, and you can build anything that requires one stone. It doesn't. You don't get. You don't have to generate the stone and then spend it like deal with a lot of other resource management type board games. It's sort of you have that. So it's just. I, I thought about this sort of like these thresholds. You would get certain thresholds, like you know your technology was this number, it's two or greater. And when it gets there, you can build a school or whatever or a broadcast station, right? And then those buildings nice. would sort of pile up on each other. And this and, and if when you build a school, your technology goes up by another one. Um, and, and, and so you could, but you don't spend it down, right? It's all just sort of numbers that you just, you do have to have resources that you generate every, you know, charter turn, uh, and what you need to spend, but that's how you get them is a different story. But then it's basically, it's kind of more like civilization type rules yeah. where you're just like building up like districts and like ideas that are represented by integers rather than actually keeping track of, you know. 7,000 UPBs coming every week. Sure, <laughs> right. Or like, where in your settlement you have to put the school? No, it's just right, if you have a school right. in this settlement, you maybe you have another, you can spend some extra, uh, you know, resources to uh, start another settlement on the other side of the charter, whatever. Um, and, and, and so there, there, there were rules for all that. And that is something we actually did manage to get a couple quick play tests in to sort of test the numbers uh, with the, on the clock. So, um, uh, yeah, I think it turned out pretty interesting. I, I'm, I, I was curious to see how people feel about it because when I, I ran Kingmaker uh, back in the day and there was a sort of, you know, some people get involved with that subsystem and some other players don't. And it came down to like, I felt as a GM, I was also running it for them. So hopefully... <laughs> This is interesting right. enough that players will also get interested in it, and it's not just the GM going like, "Well, it's time to do more charter stuff." Um, you right. can also just, you know, you can just sort of leave that by the wayside in this adventure path. If you yeah, really yeah, I was going to ask. Like, hand wave is it. All, are all of these systems mandatory, or can you kind of pick and choose which ones you really want to engage with? There's if there's your table. Yeah, if your table isn't into it, I think you can kind of hand wave it. Um, I can't remember now in the first volume if I've put any kind of sidebar about hand waving it but uh, for the most part it's just you want to explore and you pick some stuff out and then the gym can say like every you know couple months or in game months that, that it's just like oh you've got this now your things are built growing and building and then at the end of there's the sort of like what choices you made uh, uh do matter at the, for the very last volume um and uh, uh some of them are built around this charter subsystem but uh, i'm sure also you could sort of massage that a little bit quite easily Sure, yeah. but I think also if you're going to start that AP, you kind of have to want to get involved with 
with those systems, Something. right? Yeah, it's like you don't why get not? a kingmaker if you're like I don't. I'm not really interested in in building a kingdom. <laughs> Let's yeah. play kingmaker, you know. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Some of the players in my group were not as interested in other, as others, but they were just wanted to hang out and play, right? Well, I wonder so if it's like one of those things where it seems like, oh, that's really cool. We're going to build a kingdom. And then like when it comes to actually having to do like the spreadsheet, uh, some players are like, oh, you guys can just make the choices. I know that's kind of how it's been on a smaller scale sometimes with the starship. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Like, right. Yeah. Like, so like we have like one to two players that manage the starship and level it up. And sure, the rest yeah. of the players are just like, okay, cool. We I don't even know what, what these things do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the it's pilot. Fair. I'm cool. I, what, what bonus can I take from the computers for my right. mom? Yeah. That's all I need to know. How fast yeah. does this go again? Good. All right. yeah. That's all I need to know. What's the turning? Yeah. Uh, so one of the interesting things about doing this AP, about having uh, you know an unexplored planet uh, is the potential for all kinds of wild flora and fauna. And I mean, that's one of Starfinder's mm-hmm. greatest strengths, I think, is the the diversity of, of, of life that you can get in such a, a weird science fantasy setting as Starfinder presents. Mm-hmm. So did you have any kind of guidelines for how this biology would work on this planet or anything like that? And if you did, what are some of your favorite monsters or creatures uh, on this unexplored planet? Hey. It came down to sort of it happened as people were writing it. There was questions. And I was thinking about it. We have, you know, like you said, we have a bunch of cool, weird flora and fauna that exist. So I had to make it possible. That's the the tricky thing about Starfinder in terms of what aliens are. So you create an alien that's like, this jungle planet has a cool, weird jungle flower on it that tries to kill you. Great. Now, if I go to a different planet that could have a jungle biome in it, is it there? Why is it there? You know, like... It's there's yeah. it's so much like you know when you talk about pathfinders, Galarian is like there's a you know there's the assassin vine and it, that can kind of happen in any place that there's kind of warm temperate foresty zone right, um, so so but but when it comes to a different planet it's a whole thing so it came down to like this is how you maybe name stuff that already exists because also we couldn't come up with stat blocks for every new creature because then there wouldn't be enough room for the rest of the adventure. Right. Uh, so when you want to have like you know uh, a, one of our laser wolves, one of our Tashtaris, you know, like oh well, that's just we just kind of say it's got a different, slightly different name, uh, uh, but it's the same stats, right? You can call it a. You know, we ended up calling them. I ended up calling them laser wolves um, <laughs> because that was the sort of nickname for them at the beginning with. Uh, but there's a couple of new stuff. There's, there's also lots of new stuff, uh, weird, creepy underground creatures, but a lot of uh, flora and fauna uh, 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 on the surface as well. Um, we came up with there's a couple reasons why some of these things actually are on this planet, uh, which is actually pretty interesting. Uh, but we have a, you know a fun new dinosaur, for instance, uh, at one point. Uh, we've got the I think one of my favorites. Um, uh, what what it came down to is uh, I started naming them almost um, not quite like Pokemon, but like uh, in a way that they were just sort of they were pretty they weren't like scientific names, right? So yeah. there's a a uh a many-legged goat creature that just got ended up calling being called a spider goat. Um, <laughs> and you, so that one doesn't like. It's weird. Funny is that one like that one sort of happens in the background more or less. You just on until you find some undead skeleton spider goats and it's kind of like oh fun. Um, and and uh, 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 what was the other one? That was sort of in, it's in the very first volume. Um, gosh, I can't remember what I called them now. Oh, they're, but they were basically like, um, 
uh, uh, Panthers of some kind. Oh no, I'm blanking. <laughs> oh, it's fine. <laughs> I can't remember no what, what the way we ended up changing that to. <laughs> but yeah, but but, uh, but clearly not one of my favorites. But the uh, there's uh, <laughs> uh, though the one of the other more interesting ones too is the the mole beetle that sort of like one of the first things that like, when you land on a planet these little guys come out and they're weird bug creatures. Um, and they're just upset that you, uh, you know, vibrated the ground too much so they come out and try right. to <laughs> um, That kind of stuff, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, it sounds it sounds like it could be a, a, a very fun AP. I mean, obviously, uh, it's going to be one of those ones that you you got to be in for, like I said before. I think yeah. you really got to, like... Commit to uh, uh, yeah. the yeah. concept, yeah. Definitely. Um, it, it, it's uh, tricky. I mean, this is the first sort of sand sandbox style adventures that I had never had to deal with develop or write or whatever. Um, so there's a lot of just like, here's a bunch of stuff. I don't know if you, your players might have never fun <laughs> east or west or whatever. Right. Um, but then all of these other, you know, fun things are happening. So um, events that occur that while you're dealing with maybe exploring a cave or the plains or a mountain or wherever you've got to also deal with political stuff and sabotage and that kind of thing. Right, right. Well, it should be fine. Um, shifting gears, though, right? Let's talk sure. about Junker's Delight. So this mm-hmm. is the first of a new line of modules for Starfinder. Mm-hmm. And we're really happy to see modules make it into this game system. So can you tell us what led to the decision to bring these into Starfinder? So uh, it was a little bit of uh, early on, Starfinder Adventure Paths were bi-monthly. Uh, because we had like three people on the whole team, um, and uh, it was just sort of, and, and eventually they were like, "Well, let's." Uh, it seemed that we had a lot more had a lot more demand. So shortly after Dead Suns finished, we went to monthly again, like regular the Pathfinder APs, and we just pulled up two three parters, and we did some you know did, did some other bits, uh, and then we soon came to realize that we are putting out more than people could actually play, and granted. Pathfinders do still doing uh, monthly as well, but and but we have they have a slightly larger, um, I think, a larger player base, so they mm-hmm. can do the picking and choosing. But we also are coming to see that people enjoy these three part adventures, even in the Pathfinder side of things. So, uh, uh, all, all you know, we're constantly trying to think about how we can better serve all the readers and the players and whatnot. Uh, but we took back, uh, kind of cut back with Horizons of the Vast, back to buy monthly again, and so which means well. It's good, you know, it, it, it eases the, the, the rate in which people can sort of burn through these uh, uh, or not, you know, or have to wait, you know, to, to whatever, uh, to play them. Uh, we sort of had more, a little bit more capacity in which to do modules. People are always saying, when are you going to do standalone modules? And these are even great, smaller than a three-part adventure path. You can play through one of these uh, as a short campaign. And so it came down to that. It was like, well, we got to put one out. Let's put one out. Um, and we all decided, uh, that it would be a good idea to make the first module incredibly beginner friendly, not quite a beginner box adventure, just sort of like this. If you wanted to go, uh, uh, pick up Starfinder, the core rule book, you could grab Starfinder, the core rule book, you could buy Junker's Delight and that you could run the game. You didn't need a mod, you didn't need any alien archives. You didn't need any other setting books or whatever. All of the, we decided, oh, we just put all the stat blocks in this adventure, make it as simple as possible, have lots of sidebars for new GMs, uh, to talk to your players about, you know, when to level up and what to do when you level up. It was very much sort of meant to be that way. And so uh, I was, it was, it's meant to be sort of an evergreen, always on the shelf adventure. And I was like, well, I'd love to write that <laughs> because 
Just yeah, it'd be been, a feather uh, in my cap. Yeah. Yeah, I've been GMing that for our Twitch show, and mm. I've definitely noticed that the layout is is so well done in the sense that mm. like everything you need for every encounter is right there on the page. You know, it's mm-hmm. one of the few adventures that I've not had to like flip between lots of different books to be prepared for. Like just run it, which has been really great for, you know, doing a live yeah. stream of it. It's like <laughs> sure, yeah. made that, made that really easy. Um, and so like it was helpful. You know, I'm a pretty experienced Starfinder GM and I still found sure. it extremely helpful to have that, you know, is that something that you think we'll see in modules going forward? Is that just, or was this one like where this is going to be our kind of a starter module? Yeah, I mean that was the focus of it, right? There's, there's that. Mm. The 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 module that uh, I think it has come out because I have a copy of it, right? The Liberation of Locus One, the second module, mm-hmm. is meant mm-hmm. to be sort of a sort of follow up. It's not as um, uh, uh, doesn't walk you through everything, but it's like, well, at this point, well, we need well, now we need to introduce starship combat at least. So we introduce mm-hmm. that. We have a a more sort of open. Uh, it's a little sandboxy in places. So that one sort of is a sort of. A continuation of that, but it doesn't have as many of the sidebars and the, the talking directly to the GM about doing this, that, and the other thing that that the Jokers right. of Light has. Uh, so it sort of it eases you into it. You play those two, you're sort of eased in. You're you're a veteran GM at that point. You can pick up any of our <laughs> other upcoming modules and play them right off the bat, or any adventure right. Path volumes, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I think they're great. You know, when even if you are used to t- TTRPGs, but you haven't played Starfinder, having something small that, that goes through the rules, eases you into it, that sort of thing, can be very, very helpful for, you know, getting someone into a new system, even if they're already experienced, especially if they're not, right? Um, sure. But what about the story for Junker's Delight? Was it, how did you <laughs> land on this story? Any particular inspirations that went into this story? Um, um, it... So it was a lot of, we talked a little bit, banded around what would it be. It should probably take place in the pack world. It should be kind of fun. You're right, because even if you're a sort of veteran jam, it should be fun to play. Um, uh, we, I don't know, bounced around a couple things. There's like a similar kind of place in, um, in Absom Station called like Bot Scrap that has a, it's a big junkyard. And I thought, oh, that's kind of fun. Let's think about junkyards. The, I have to admit that the title, maybe often, often I come, I come, I come title first, right? I mm-hmm. kind of think of a, a title that, and that title gives me an idea of what the adventure is about. I will in an AP, you know, a, a six volume AP or even a three volume AP, like start with some titles that sound kind of cool. Uh, and then like, you know, the third volume of Horizon of the Vest is called uh, Whispers of the Eclipse. And I was like, that's cool. Now, what the heck does that mean? Um, uh, and then I've got to figure it out from there. Uh, this title kind of was half a joke uh, because my brain was thinking of the song Rapper's Delight. Yeah. <laughs> and I, then I just wrote Junker's Delight. And I was like, oh, it's the place. Because I also, I, at the time, I was also thinking about this place in, in Akaton that um, got added uh, in uh, uh, after sort of in co- the copy fit phase where we, oh, these pages are short. We need to add text. So I added this tiny little paragraph. Of a place called Kefak Depot, which is uh, essentially uh, calling something Roach Town, um, <laughs> because right. Kefaks are vermin and they eat junk. And I was like, oh, but, and there's a lot of crash starships on Akaton. We sort of went through that, but this is like junk tourism. And so from there, I, I grabbed that little seed that I had planted years ago. Uh, had this other sort of 
goofy title in my head and it's sort of planned out in my vision. Oh, you've got it. You come, you're coming here because someone wants some help or you're looking for something. And then they're like, let's go through the junk and find a crash starship that has something fun in it. Um, and that's basically where the story sort of blossomed from. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's been a lot of fun for sure. I mean, like mm-hmm. <laughs> there's some, there's some great, um, characters out in the in the junk fields there that are that are a lot of fun yeah <laughs> to, I had, to mess I had, around with i had fun writing them for sure. and so i will say you know this was clearly intended to be for for new players and everything and and it's really new player friendly however i gotta say that junk golem fight is no joke yeah that's, <laughs> that's why it's on the cover right Right, I was, right. I was a little worried. I was a little worried that that cover looked way more badass than anything in the actual adventure. <laughs> uh, well, it, it served to be a, certainly a centerpiece for us uh, in the adventure. Mm. I, um, Terrific. It was it was a, a very difficult fight with with some casualties in it. So, it checks out that way sometimes. You got to yeah. learn. The, yeah, but did as your, you said, that was the cover monster. So yeah, it's gotta be exciting. Did you, did your players like seek out some of the like uh, 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 side quests to sort of like oh you, before you go against the jungle and make sure you know that? Oh, it, well, I, I had yeah, one of them was stuff. yeah, one of them was playing a jungomancer, you know, and um, <laughs> it had a lot of they had a really really good plan of action going into that fight, and they all rolled terrible initiative oh, and then mm. terrible stealth. Mm-mm. And I rolled really well, and yeah. <laughs> um, it just didn't work out good for them. They were they were instantly like on the back foot and fighting from the back foot the whole Fair time, enough. you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, that's 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 the, how the game works. Sometimes you just get like, yeah. terrible Recipe rolls for success. Life. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, okay, well, Jason, as we are nearing the back matter of this interview, we have a few mm-hmm. questions about the back matter that you've had sure. a hand in. Yeah. Um, so you wrote the Aslanti lore section for the Against the Aeon Throne AP, which is one that we finished, um, yeah. you know, on, on our show. How was that? Bringing, this is a, a pretty storied piece of Galarian lore. You yeah. know, how was that bringing that into the Starfinder universe? So, actually, I didn't end up, I didn't write that one, but I did develop oh. the entirety of that uh, AP, uh, essentially. So, But that one was an interesting one, because I was sort of still learning the ropes, and uh, Rob McCreary had already written the outline. It was just a matter of, like, finding some authors to, to, to write, to do it, uh, to do it right, um, and then working with them. But, um, uh, uh, so, uh, so, speaking of that, Rob McCreary is our, was our, I should say, uh, has Lanty Star Empire guru at the time it was sort of his idea to bring the Islanti into space and bring them starfinder and make them our evil space nazi empire right mm-hmm. um so he wrote a bunch of the the back the the that uh flavor oh, okay. much of that setting stuff about like what's going on here oh there's two uh imperators and the twin twin brother twin sister um what's going on there we had to you know come up with a lot of stuff but uh i did have a lot of fun sort of uh uh at some point uh, I was uh, in the core rulebook. I think it says something like the Islanti Star Empire has this many systems with seventeen or twenty-seven different sentient species. And it's like, well, now I have to name all of those. Rob, why did you write that <laughs> in the core rulebook? So I got, you know, we got some people to write some some of those names up, and we came up with some playable ones that that might be fun. And uh, 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 that was a, that was a lot of fun. 
to, to add, add, just continually add to that. And it's like, what, what's life like in the Atlantis Storm Armor Empire? Well, if you're not Atlante, it kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah, it turns out not so good for not so great. anybody who's not Atlante. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, maybe, maybe you didn't write this one either, but, uh, uh, it did say uh, in the back that you ha- wrote the corrupted and shadows part of Signal Screams. Um, yes. So, which features the shadow corruption itself. Uh, this affliction <laughs> has <laughs> been quite uh, quite uh, a hurdle for the Southern Tomfoolery PCs for our main cast in our in our main show. Um, can you tell us a little bit how you came up with the corruption? Mm-hmm. Did you develop the mechanics for it? as well or you know was it just the flavor yeah um that was signal screams was my first uh full concepting of an ap right uh uh we were coming off the sort of we need a three-parter that comes that comes off against the eon throne and i was like well i don't know it's early still early in the game sure but let's do space horror i you know i want to get some space horror out there right off the bat uh and so i i I came up with the idea that's very much it's very much Hellraiser in space, mm-hmm. you know, going with the Velstrax, uh, which we were at the time sort of transitioning from calling them all chitons into to this new sort of terminology for our setting as a whole, the Pathfinder, Starfinder setting as a whole. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I love that kind of stuff. I like, you know, movies like Event Horizon and stuff like that. So I was like, oh, let's oh, do this. Sure. Uh, it's all horror. Uh, it'd be fun if it were set, you know, in a start us off in a sort of, oh, you're at this cool spa or resort, and then bad stuff starts to happen. Um, and then uh, from there, I thought it would be interesting to do a corruption mechanic. And so this um, AP would be less about saving the galaxy, although it is a little bit, but it's more about help, you know stopping yourself from going totally into shit. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you, you, it becomes very personal. It's not so, you know, the against the Aeon Throne one, you sort of show up at a place and the, your your friend uh, uh, NPC has been kidnapped, so you've got to chase them down into the Aeon Throne. And it ends up being, you know, the, this whole thing about, you know, stopping the Atlantis from getting a, a faster than light drive, um, uh, a better faster than light drive. But this one was more like, oh, you got to save your own soul. Um, right. I uh, had been, I think I was, yeah, I was, I was an editor when Horror Adventures was coming out. Uh, so I read through all that, basically, uh, and all that corruption system that existed in there with all the different... You could be turning into a lycanthrope or a vampire or whatever. Um, and thought that was very interesting, but the way that the um, you know Pathfinder 1st Edition way it does it was a little harsh for me. It was like, it was very... It seemed destined to just kill you very quickly. So I, I took that mm. idea and kind of wanted to distill it down into Starfinder mechanics and... and, and ease up a little bit on it not a ton because it should be very dangerous but so you know the idea of like well instead of having to make a saving throw every day you only have to make that saving throw if you're out of resolve points otherwise you can spend a resolve point right. to see if you know, just immediately succeed so it becomes that that resolve mechanic sort of actually became becomes about your resolve for fighting off this corruption right um, and then i could you know and so the like the longer day adventuring day that right. you have when you, the, the mm-hmm. You're, yeah, you're not as able to kind of fight that off, you know. Right. Because in Starfinder, we, you you might have great big swaths of time where you're sitting in your starship, uh, going from point A to point B through the drift, right? You've got a week or two or three, uh, and it felt like it would have been well, needlessly punishing to be like, well, uh, halfway through your drift journey, you turn into a shadow creature and you 
the character is dead. The end. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't happen right. in a fight. It didn't happen for. You know, it just happened for reasons. Uh, so, so that sort of like on those times, you when you're relaxed and whatever, you can you can study and meditate or whatever it is that you need to do for your character to fight off the shadow corruption. But like you said, when you have a real big fight, a couple big fights, uh, you get really knocked down, or you know, and you've got to spend the day spending that resolve to get your stamina back so you survive. At the end of the day, you're like, right. I'm exhausted. Oh no. I'm turning into a shadow right. person. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, it's been, I think it's been a um, very interesting mechanic to work with. And I think that it brings in a level of horror that is otherwise difficult to manage in, mm-hmm. um, in a Starfinder or Pathfinder game because you, you know, you, the PCs are so strong and they're like superheroes. So yeah. putting them in like a horror situation can be very difficult because the game is designed to lift them up and make them, Mm-hmm. you know powerful and so and horror is often about being powerless yeah so like you know while it has a lot of the hellraiser aesthetic i think most of the horror of signal screams definitely comes from that internal battle that all the characters are going through mm-hmm. at least that's that's what we've taken from it you Good. Know, no thank you journey I- through it I appreciate it. And, and Signal Screams is a seventh level adventure beginning, right? Yeah. Uh, and right. already a pretty powerful. I was, I have this minor regret that if I, if I'd known better, I would have maybe switched the two because it seems like you should be higher level to go against the Atlante Star Empire. Yeah. Space yeah. horror should be, you should be very almost powerless because you're first level. But that's the way it panned out. Well, it worked happens, out right? because, you know, if, if you ha- do play the. Islanti adventure first mm-hmm. before the signal screams one, you know, I, as a GM, I had three adventure books worth of stuff to use against them, you Fair know, enough. like the, like of like their history and memories and like their bonds that I could then, you know, corrupt yeah. those themselves. <laughs> and like, and, and so, you know, you have all this his, shared history from the first one that you can just manipulate into evil versions of it throughout Signal <laughs> Screams. And uh, I, I find it to be nice to have that amount of time with the characters before they get corrupted so you knew who who they yeah. were when you were losing them. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's an excellent point. And you've made me feel better about it. Thank you. Good. That's, <laughs> if there's, if there's anything gone. this interview could do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like how uh, certain events trigger a will save against corruption almost like a sanity yeah. check certain mm-hmm. horrific things that the players encounter will also as opposed to being just a once a day thing sure yeah yeah I, I like the idea of like it working almost like a sanity sort of role right, as well yeah. we built those into the adventure so they weren't like part of the subsystem like so it's like now yeah. so you could see so so a GM running this would see like if I want to do any kind of other Corruption. It doesn't have to be a shadow. You know, it could be the vampire or the ghoul or whatever. Um, here are things that you would do to your players. Also in the adventure, that's not just a daily thing, like you said. Right. Right. It's triggering events or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I've certainly added a few of those oh, within good. the adventure myself. You know. <laughs> yeah, it's tough um, to tell. I haven't read the AP obviously since I'm playing in it. So because we're still okay, playing yeah. it, but yeah. But um, how far how how far are you are you, are you all? We're almost done. We're, okay. far, we're in the heart of night. Okay. Yes. yes. We, uh, <laughs> that was like, one I'm, of those. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, I was just gonna say we've like I about on the next time we play they will be starting on the final map of oh, the nice. of the adventure. So that that is one of those things that I was talking about earlier where an author will surprise you. Uh, where uh, we had named the adventure Heart of Night, 
and I didn't have any. I was just like, you get there in the shadow plane, you do some stuff, you have to fight the, you know, the doctor. Um, and the author came back with like, what about a giant beating heart wrapped in chains the size of an, uh, an asteroid? I'm like, hell, sure, yeah. why not? Let's do it. That's How weird. How could I possibly say no to that? How could I possibly say no to that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. And and from interviews that we've had with, with other um, writers and stuff like that, hmm. talking about kind of the, some of the freedom that they get to really just add their own thing to it. It's, it, it's, I think it's great. You know, it's, it's nice that it's not, um, that it's more collaborative, I guess. Yeah. Right? I, I'd like yeah. to, that's what I try to do. I mean, there's, you know, again, there's certain beats that I feel need to be hit for story purposes when I know that all the story, but stuff in the middle, oftentimes like name, name characters. I don't know. Go for it. I'm not going to name every character for you. That stuff is hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I got a team of six writers to do this. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I know it, it's, it's been a really interesting AP if, um, if not challenging at times, you know, just, mm-hmm. I don't think that we were necessarily horror buffs going into it, but, uh, <laughs> okay, fair enough. it, it, it is, it is a, a really fun AP at the end of the day. So what can you tell us about what's coming up for Starfinder's future? Like what, what's in the pipe right now? Is there any hints that you can give us about upcoming stuff? Yeah. I mean, we all uh, talk about the drift crisis. Uh, mm-hmm. event yeah. essentially right we have this event book that's coming out um mayish i think um that has uh, uh basically what we're doing is we're breaking the drift a little bit sort of as a in the, in the setting and then putting it back together uh, but we're doing it over the course of an entire year uh so the drift crisis hardcover when that comes out that's got uh you know lots of player options but it's also got a lot of adventure seeds for how uh, gm can run a drift crisis campaign uh, uh, things that go all over the place from, you know, uh, uh, small, small sort of personal stories to wide ranging galactic changing stories, right? Uh, fixing, fixing the problem, for instance, is one of them. Um, and, uh, it's got some new creatures in it. It's got all kinds of great stuff in it that, that I think people are, are, are going to like. And what, how we're kind of supporting all that, uh, we're starting off with a, um, of course, we're going to have a map, a flip map. we got to have one of those. But uh, we're starting off with a, a one-shot, one of those digital one, uh, one-shot adventures uh, 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 that sort of takes place before what we call the Drift Crash, which is the the thing that happens at the beginning Breaks of the, the Drift, drift Crisis. Yeah. It, well, it, yeah, the result of the breaking of the Drift is this Drift Crash where people get flung all over the place and flung out of the Drift or mm. other things. Um, and then, then we have a uh, the Drift Crashers Adventure Path, three-volume AP, uh, uh, that I uh, am jealous that I didn't get to develop uh, because it is bonkers. Uh, that's done by Jason Tondro, who who is uh, uh, had just sort of come off the fly for your die uh, adventure yeah. path that that's been so I think pretty pretty popular with everyone and that was that was another one of those tropes we took too long to probably get to um uh but uh uh uh, he was the right person for the job so i'm I'm glad that he was the one who got to do it but he's doing drift crashers and it 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 is kind of i don't want to spoil it too much but there's all the crazy sci-fi tropes that you can kind of think of are probably going to be there you're going to recognize a lot of you know stuff from star trek and stuff like that other wacky stuff (laughs) um and then um uh, uh why not so uh, there's another three volume ap after that that's called drift hackers and that is the higher level one that uh, i'm working on right now that fixes the drift crisis canonically and this oh. is the yeah you know, that's what we're gonna say this is the this is and that's gonna come out at the end of this year and more into next year um uh, we're planning so on maybe even having a module somewhere in there as well 
Oh, nice. Yeah. Like that would also be related to the They'd drift crisis? They'd be related to the crisis. drift crisis. There's going to be society scenarios that are related to the drift crisis. You might go fix a drift beacon, uh, uh, rescue some people who got stranded, that kind of stuff. So uh, we're, we're peppering all sorts of stories in it so that if you don't have your own campaign but you still want to participate in this drift crisis event, you can. And through through so, our own stories. My question about the two uh, APs that are going to come out. You said you have two, three book APs that are kind of about the drift crisis. Why is that considered two separate adventures paths as opposed to one six book adventure path? Because the drift crashers is, uh, I'll say that it's about um, finding your way home. Okay. It's a lost in space kind of adventure, right? And that has a definite conclusion that you can play through. And end, and then you, someone else, you know, you can say, oh, then someone else fixes the drift crisis, or the GM says, oh, I have a way that I think I want to do it. Uh, drift hackers is about fixing the problem, the, the overall problem. So it's got a wider scope. It's less personal in a lot of ways, like, uh, uh, but but again, it's sort of adventurers come help me. You help a god out with their problem, you're going to get rewarded for that, right? It's going to be it's going to be a definite story to tell. Um, okay, cool. Yeah. And you can lead one into the other. You can do it as a form sure. volume. But we we broke it up to, to two because, you know, a lot of people are saying we like these shorter APs. We like these little short, Definitely. you know, pace. And, and, and if it's clear that it is two three-volume APs, I think uh, that's better than a sort of two-part six-volume AP, right? You know? Um, yeah, and you can you could jump in with some already characters you have to the second one. And sure, like, right. Okay, we did, we did Aeon Throne, and now we want to do exactly. a bigger... Crisis, but we want to use our characters, you know, right. that, that does provide yeah. that. That's cool, yeah. Do the, we the, find out the nature of the drift? That's all I want to know. Like, do we do we get yeah, some, we, like, we, good drift lore in, in this? There's a, in the Drift Crisis hardcover, there's really good drift lore. Uh, you're going to see some some wacky things in Drift Hackers, I'll say that. That's more about the drift. You're going to see some very gonzo things in Drift Crashers, but that's technically not about the drift uh, in a lot of ways. Um so uh, it's more like yeah, just, you, yeah, as you said, it's like yeah. dealing with the fallout and just right. like trying to get back, right? It's a little we lost in space. Back. It's a little quantum <laughs> leap. It's a little bit of all that. Um, a little bit of sliders, if you're familiar okay. with that TV yeah. show. Yeah. Remember that? Remember that old gem? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Drift Hackers has got basically sort of a more of a single setting. You go to uh, Alluvion, that city that's Trion's domain in the drift. Uh, oh, wow. yeah. so cool. we get a little bit a lot of it more about what's going on there uh, you get uh, a lot of stuff about the factions of Triune who are kind of oh no what's happening to Triune not, Triune's not saying anything um, and um, just as a just because I want people to be excited uh, uh, at the end of this and this is probably first time first time anyone's ever heard it uh, you heard it here first folks that the the Drift Hackers gets a little Tron Ooh, fun. Oh, fun. Yeah, whoa. okay. Exciting. <laughs> that's fun. That's, that's fun. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm wearing that particular uh, inspiration on my sleeve, or at least I've given that inspiration to an author to, <laughs> to, to write yeah. up. Uh, <laughs> but it's definitely what, I, what I'm looking for. Well, that's awesome. to your credit, I, I think that Starfinder wears its inspirations on its sleeve regularly, mm-hmm. and that is one of my favorite things about it, is that it draws from all this other great sci-fi and is and is really just like unapologetic about yeah yes we 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 love this sci-fi here is it adapted into our setting for you to use and i I mean like you know i'm running 
apply for your dye right now. And mm-hmm. uh, I've talked to Tandro about about some of these influences, and I and great, yeah. I think it's great. You know, I love it. Uh, so yeah, thank you so much for for giving us a little hint. I'm I'm very excited about that because as a, <laughs> a primarily a Starfinder player. You yeah. know, the mystery of what happened to Galarian and then what's the deal with the drift are two of those big lore mysteries that mm-hmm. I think everybody who plays enough Starfinder eventually is like, what is going on with this? Oh, I, I need to know. So, <laughs> Zach, we're just going to have to speed run Devastation Arc so we can jump on Drift yeah, Crashers. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Oh, I, uh, I kind of half forgot about Devastation Arc. Uh, yeah, know, like, one of mine. that's been in our plans for years now and it's like finally coming up and there's all these other APs now that are like oh I want to play that one I want to play that one but that, that Devastation Arc's been our cap for a while so yeah, well, I mean, it's, yeah. We've, we've avoided Devastation Arc questions because we have not gotten there yet and I don't <laughs> I don't want to spoil myself on anything I'm sure Adam had, would have a lot of questions he could ask you about mm. that but maybe we, maybe you can come back on again after we finish sure. that arc and we can pick your brain about that one I would yeah. love to know what people think about it because uh, because of reasons it's, you've read it right, Adam? Yes, I have. Okay, it's an right, extremely right? wacky adventure. What What was I thinking? Um, <laughs> basically, is my question there. Basically, I told they're, they're like, "What's the theme of this one?" I was like, "Extremely no. wacky Avengers." You know what I mean? Yeah, like it's kind of. it's an Avengers movie, but like super wacky you know like it's in a in, in a good way but it's just like really weird you know but yeah. epic weirdness. as hell you know? weirdness weird and epic i think yeah, is what i was hoping for there well you did you hit, right. hit it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. all right all right well jason keely thank you so much for coming on is there Thanks a way if people want to interact with you online or where they can find your uh, sage advice or anything of the sorts. Where, where can they find you? Sure. I mean, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Herzweston, A-T-R-Z-W-E-S-T-E-N. Um, do I give as much of sage advice on that? No, I kind of <laughs> just talk about, uh, you know, my my uh, my life. Every once in a while, what video games I might be playing. Uh, information about the squirrels that come onto my patio on a regular basis and because I've been feeding them throughout the yeah. pandemic. I've gar- garnered a small squirrel army. Um, yeah. So come to come to that. Um, though check out all the other stuff that I'm I'm doing for you know Paizo. I would say uh, 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 what's the next? Uh, I, I've got a Pathfinder adventure that's coming out some point in the near future. Uh, that is also kind of uh, Gonzo and wacky. So um, look out well, you can, for that. You can plug that future. too. This is not just. I, I don't. Mean, it hasn't been any uh, announced okay, yet, okay, okay. so I can't. Oh, okay. I don't think I can say it. So just keep your eye out for. Oh, yeah, I'm sure you can, Jason. <laughs> I don't, I don't think they would appreciate that. As an no. author, when I'm the yeah. developer and the manager, I feel like I can, I can, I can go a little uh, off book. But uh, for uh, for when I'm the freelance author, you know, yeah, it's like no, yeah, take yeah. that out. Excellent. Um, yeah, let's say that. Right. Let's say one uh, just other uh, one other thing that I plugged that came out. Uh, it's been a bit of bits. It's came out. But there's a mutants and masterminds adventure that I wrote. Uh, uh, oh, nice. Uh, called Into the Idiot Box. Uh, that is, uh, the, uh, you know, very much a, a cue traps the players in a weird simulation kind of thing about TV shows. And it's about TV shows, which, uh, is one of my favorite things to do is to make up pop culture, which does remind me, uh, uh, in a problem. Well, I don't know when this is coming out, but by the time this has come out, I think I will have put out my weird free serial mascot role-playing game. 
uh, called This Complete oh, Breakfast. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah I've seen you been, on Twitter I've getting that about together. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to put that out. Uh, it's probably going to be on my uh, itch.io uh, page, uh, which is just itch.io slash Weston. Um, I think uh, I should have looked that up before I started talking. But there you go. You can find me. You can. I'll 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 link to it on my Twitter for sure. Uh, but I'm gonna be giving that away. It was a lot of fun to to goof around. So I like goofy stuff. Nice. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> All right, Jason Keeley. Yeah. Again, thank you so much. Uh, thanks everybody for listening in. And uh, you know, until next time, we'll see you. We'll see you.